All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome. This is Twist Gaming, and this is our Great Game Hunter podcast, where we like to go through the ins and outs of the various monsters and events in Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, this evening, we will be doing the podcast with myself, I'm Matt, and I am joined here with Josh and Fen. Say hello, guys. Hello, everyone. Hello, guys. So this evening, we will be talking about The Hand and the Kingsman, a double nemesis adventure for this evening. But just first, a little thing to mention, we are currently streaming live on Twitch, so we're going to be taking a few questions here and there from chat. So that's where those are coming from. And also, I'd like to point out that uh, this week's broadcast is being sponsored by BC Games Company. So go check them out. They have their game, uh, uh, Gunslinger, currently available, and Gambler is going live on Kickstarter shortly. And also, just as a reminder for you guys, we have Mr. Fen here is doing a raffle with us. So for $5, you can purchase a ticket. And Fen, do you want to tell them what you're giving away for the winner? Uh, some harsh language and a lesson in life. And then after that, I'm going to uh, paint a model up to a 50 mil base size. So say one of the monsters from Kingdom Death or something similar. Kind of fine with anything as long as it's not technological. Sounds good. And uh, on top of that, too, you guys can go and check out Fen's DeviantArt page. So you can check out the paint work that he does do. And uh, as a reminder, he also does... Oh, I always forget this word. Commissions. There you go, commissions. I don't know why I always blank on commissions. How can you not remember the commish starring Michael Chiklis? <laughs> you know, you got me there. How could I forget that? I've never watched it, but I mean, you know, I love Michael Chiklis. And as one of our viewers is pointing out, Charles Fox, Patreon is another way that you guys can support Fed if you want. Uh, so going into this evening's stream, or this podcast, we're going to be talking about the Kingsman and the Hand, as I said before. And first, we're going to start talking about the lore. Is that correct, gentlemen? Yes. So why don't you take that away, Fen? You seem to know the most about the uh, the backstory for these guys. Well, yeah. So before we do go any further... I think it's very important for me just to say we're going to be talking spoilers, like big spoilers, like really big spoilers. So if you don't want to hear um, some huge spoilers about the setting in general, I mean, they are available out there for you to read about. But we're going to talk about some big, big stuff. So you may want to skip off a go ahead five, ten minutes or turn the sound off for five, ten minutes or so, just because when I talk about the Kingsman and the Hand, I'm going to be talking about some other people involved and there's some kind of big ramifications involved in them. So we're just going to give you a moment or two to uh, make your decisions. And, and, you know, we'll see you in about 10 minutes if you're uh, not interested in, in having things spoiled for you. Otherwise, you know, we're going to pull the veil back a bit. How mysterious. Yeah, so it's only fair. Okay, so the Kingsman and the Hand are both... Um, foot troopers to a certain extent well the kingsmen are foot troopers in particular and uh they the, they patrol the plane of faces so the plane of faces is where pretty much all three of the core campaign the, the generation one campaigns occur so uh people of the sun people of the stars and people of the lantern all occur within or near to the plane of faces now the plane of faces is uh is a realm ruled by the king um now we'll start with the king because uh he was due to be part of the lantern festival obviously many people know that was cancelled um so we don't know that much about him all we've really got is um a, a model 
quite an interesting model in many ways. Um, very reminiscent of uh, the style of Hasta. Uh, it's a robed figure holding a false head above with a crown. Um, it's, it's wreathed with babies. It has uh, like an ornate carapace and there's something sort of inside. Uh, the description is the rhythmic scrape and clang of the Kingsman March heralds the arrival of the king. The king's ornate carapace is wrapped in shifting robes that hide the ravenous creature within. Everyone within the king's path is consumed without mercy as the king's men look on from behind their passive cherub masks. Now, that's actually not about big a spoiler anyway, you know, the king. But the king isn't like the be all and end all of this. He's not even the top poncho. And uh, this is the reason I said spoilers, because the top poncho is the scribe. And... I mean, I really wanted, when we're talking about the Kingsman and the Hand, to give you an idea of the scope of what's going on, I wanted to talk about, very briefly, the Scribe. Because, to be honest, uh, the Scribe does kind of appear um, briefly within the Kingdom Death, um, with the core game. At least one of his items does. Uh, within one of the hunt events, you'll find a book. Um, and if you have innovated pictographs, you can scribe your name into this book and it'll have a bunch of different effects uh, one of which is makes you really powerful well that's because this is the scribe's book goodness knows why he's left it lying around but uh you know that that's it's his book and i will read now the law for this so last chance this is big spoilers okay all right the scribe is the power behind the kings and their armies. To men, he is God-made flesh, appearing in repose atop his throne with his tome hoisted by a grotesque tableau of slaves. In his book, his words are written to reality, sowing the seeds of small human settlements into existence with the stroke of his quill. Once the humans grow and reproduce, the scribe will return to harvest his crop. So, Matt, Josh, were you aware of this? Actually, I was not. This is uh, all new to me. I know a little bit of the uh, scribe's backstory, so I've, I've heard this yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, do you, Josh, do you want to tell us the implication of this then? So basically, from what I've understood of it is the scribe writes in your starting survivors into existence and is waiting for them to grow to harvest them later for whatever means, pretty much. We don't know what, what exactly his goal is. Exactly. Yeah, we, we don't know. But that's the reason why uh, the survivors are born. Uh, sorry, these prologue survivors and the first generation of survivors. So all of the starting ones have ink in their eyes. And then the birth tables make a special note of, of it showing that all of the children born do not have this ink because the children born have, have, have just naturally been born through the process. So the scribe is kind of like a very haphazard sort of farmer. He's just tossing out seed everywhere and whatever grows grows and if it becomes you know strong enough he'll come back and scoop them all up for as you said whatever purpose we don't know but this is kind of this is what the the survivors are dealing with and this is the reason why the kingsman and the hand turn up um because the kingsman and the hand the king the scribe they're all part of this big ecosystem um it's sort of interesting and i'll talk about it in more detail in the future when we talk about the alternate campaigns but the scribe's not it's it's very kind of the survivors are sort of like literally like seeds scattered on the ground and they'll get preyed upon by a whole variety of different scavengers like the white lion literally is just opportunistically scavenging and sees some survivors right near the start and goes well i'll have those um then the, you got like uh you know more powerful creatures that use various different devices to uh, draw survivors in and take advantage of them. So literally bottom of the food chain, not just like smallest animals, but we're talking seeds, crops, you know, that's how far down 
the survivors in this game are not even equivalent to small animals in our world. They're equivalent to wheat. That's interesting. Going back to what you said about the uh, the ink in their eyes, I never actually put that together before. I just thought that was a weird description, but uh, I don't know. It kind of brings things full circle for me. That's that's really cool. Yeah, everything has a, a bit of a purpose to it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff needs to be connected. But uh, we're pretty much close to done. But before we do, I'll just uh, talk briefly about the uh, the Kingsman, and then we'll talk about the hand. So the Kingsman, um, the description here is the Kingsman herald the appearance of powerful entities such as the scribe and the king. From a distance, the strangely fashioned lantern halbers are growing harbingers of the mountainous king lumbering behind. Um and as we discuss further on, we'll find out how the Kingsmen come into existence, uh, which is sort of quite an unpleasant experience in itself. And then you've got the hand. Now, the hand, uh, now the, the, the law makes it clear there's actually more than one hand. But uh, it says the hand are the king's highest ranking guard. They see through the eyes of every king's, kingsman that patrols the king's territory. The hands are highly intelligent and master swordsmen. Um, so, you know, the equivalent of generals. But uh, I don't think we ever really see what a hand is truly capable of. Um, I'd also argue that theoretically, within your timeline, every encounter you have with a hand is probably the same hand coming back again and again. Um, so this is sort of things to think about with regards to how the Kingsman behaves and how the hand behaves in what they're trying to do with regards to the king and the scribe's goals. So yeah, um, there's this ecosystem of these four characters and they're all kind of responsible for at least the survivors within the plane of faces first appearing. And with that, I think we're through the spoiler section. So Armored Strangers. All right, let's go to Armored Strangers. Matt, you want to take this? I need to pull up the image files really quickly. They don't seem to want to load for me right now, so maybe you want to take that over, Josh. Sure, not a problem. So the Armored Strangers, this is uh, the first time uh, in your settlement you come across the Kingsmen. Uh, you're, you are visited by anomic figures, fully enclosed in armor. They march silently through the settlement. The only noise is the metallic clang as they pause before each survivor and tap their lantern halberds against the ground the survivors have no choice but to helplessly await their mute deliberate yeah even say it deliberations deliberation uh and then uh you do a count of the settlement depending on how many people you have different things happen and here it's actually beneficial for you to have seven or less survivors because then they do a supportive action whereas if you have eight or more a destructive action happens yes uh, however, with the supportive action, Armored Strangers is added back to the timeline, so it's just going to keep coming around until it destroys some stuff for you. So in the end, it's going to be bad for you. It's just a way to boost you up a little bit in the beginning if you have a fairly low settlement population. Yeah, uh, this sort of exists as kind of a check to um, stop growth too much, um, mechanically anyway, uh, and also... This is, I think, a better way of introducing a nemesis when compared to the Butcher. As we discussed the Butcher previously, one of my complaints was it would be nice for him to have had a short story event occurring right on the timeline year where he turns up. Well, you get more of a bit of advanced warning about these these guys. Um, and law-wise, at this point, they're kind of pruning and trimming and trying to not let the settlement grow too fast or too quickly. It also sounds like they're trying to help grow the settlement if it's having trouble and it's a little smaller. Yeah, they seem they, they seem to have a plan of how big they want the settlement to be at this stage. So you guys want to go over what the uh, options are for the supportive and destructive actions for the dice rolls? Yep. 
So for the supportive action, uh, if you roll low, one through three, a survivor's ears fill with a painful static. Random returning survivor gains a random disorder. Not too terrible. Uh, four through seven, armored strangers dump a mangled, unidentifiable corpse on the ground. Gain three basic resources. So the resources are always beneficial, especially three of them early game. And then eight plus, uh, the armored strangers haul in a massive, bountiful beast corpse. The survivors wonder at this boon, gain six random basic resources, and departing survivors then gain an additional plus one survival. So six resources is really awesome early game for you and a good way to boost up your gear production. Absolutely. Uh, it's worth um, as well noting, I think this table is slightly incorrectly ordered, um, because if you look right at the top, you'll see finally one of them drives a lantern halberd into the ground. They leave without a word at the guidepost innovations to the settlement. I think that should probably be at the bottom of this, following everything else. But that's the last thing they do is they leave the guidepost. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for them to uh, throw the guidepost in the ground and then leave. And then all of a sudden, good things start happening for you. But I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, I imagine that's going to be caught in the 1.5 update and moved around. Uh, if it hasn't been, I should probably add it to the list uh, for them to spot and change. So uh, then, on the whole, it's not too bad, this lot. So do you want to talk about the guidepost a little bit and what that is? Um, should we do the destructive actions? Because that also includes the guidepost. And then we will talk about the guidepost. Okay, let's go over destructive actions. So for the destructive actions, uh, the strangers finish their count and draw their blades roll on the table below. Uh, with a one through four roll, so a nice low roll, you get minus five popu- population. Uh, the armored strangers wantonly execute the survivors. You may resist to avoid the loss, and resist is a separate action that is off to the side. And uh, that is you rise up, stop the settlement phase, and prepare to depart for a special showdown against the Kingsmen. After the showdown, resume the settlement phase. Do not gain endeavors, draw a settlement event, or advance a lantern gear. So it's basically an immediate showdown with a nemesis that you can do to... Uh, try and resist losing that five population and yeah this is something you generally don't want to do because of the way nemesis mechanics work if you resist here you'll face a a level one kingsman which to be honest in the year that armor strangers turn up which is lantern year six am i right i believe so um yeah well it's really early to have to face a kingsman um and then even worse than that when the kingsman encounter turns up it's going to be level two and the level two kingsman is quite a ramp up so you don't you, you really don't want to resist but I, I can see when people first play and they go oh i might i suffer five population or i can resist and just lose four so a bit of a steep learning curve there absolutely and then uh, with a five to seven roll the bravest survivors are rounded up select the survivor with the highest courage and execute them uh, all of them if there's a tie and again, you may resist to avoid the loss. Uh, following that up, an 8 to 9 roll is the strangers destroy a random innovation. Uh, so you basically lose an innovation, and you can resist to avoid that, which I really don't see the need for that. And uh, finally, on a 10+, plus, they jam the guidepost into the ground, but impale a survivor on it as a reminder. So you're going to lose one population, and you get the guidepost. And you can't even resist that. Yeah, it's not too bad, that one. There's so, almost always some... Uh, oh, sorry. I was just saying, there's almost always some pleb you don't mind sacrificing to a role like that. Exactly. But yeah, something to keep note of here is if you have eight or more population, you're probably going to lose someone, at least one person. Yeah. All right, so after Armored Strangers, what are we going to go into next, guys? Well, I think it's worth just quickly discussing what this kind of means for how you play the early game in People of the Lantern. Because... Um, 
you've got to make a bit of a decision on how you're going to handle your population. Uh, Maybe circumstances will get ahead of you and you will lose so much that you hit into the supportive action regarding uh, regardless but if if you've got some control over it you sort of want to think do i uh do, you know do i breed at this point or do i hold at seven survivors which can be risky and scary um so it's it's kind of interesting to consider that i mean what do you guys do when when you're approaching armored strangers and you're hovering around this threshold or do you think about it at all yeah, I definitely agree with you there. If you're hovering around that seven ballpark, uh, it would be beneficial to, for example, n- let's not spend all of our love juices to try and trigger some intimacy and get some babies because we can just put it off for another year and then we'll be really beefed up by the time the Armored Strangers comes around in four years later down the timeline. Uh, how about you, Josh? Yeah, um, also depends what you're playing. If you're playing, like, protect the... Sh- uh- Protect the young or survival of the fittest. That also makes a really huge effect of how you kind of play this. Because if you're doing protect the young, you probably have a ton of population and you kill them off anyway, and it's not the biggest deal. But you know, survival of the fittest, your population is is limited, so you probably want to keep it low. Here's a hypothetical for you: You've got 11 population, and armored strangers is coming at the following year. Would you consider going out on a hunt and deliberately tanking four people? I'd say no way, because even if you do get to the supportive action with uh purposely sacrificing four people there uh then in four years you're just going to get it again and it's going to be destructive this time probably so you're going to lose people eventually for it so if you're going to lose them you might as well just lose them to the destructive action and get it out of the way yeah i agree i i don't think i would actually ever tank a fight for any reason almost it just doesn't feel the right way to play kingdom death funnily enough a lot of people do it against nemesis though nemesis but, yeah, I don't think that we've ever actually purposely tanked a fight, have we, Josh? No, we've never sent... We might have sent the B team out, but not, like, in prep to fail. It was more like we have one or two people that we just don't want them to die in this fight. Not that we're the whole team would die, just we don't want those people to die in the fight, and they have a higher chance. That's that's the most we've ever pulled back. From. You know why that is? It's because you're not a bunch of whiny little losers. I was going to say because we're stubborn. <laughs> All that. Well, um, I guess guidepost then. All right, so guidepost. Uh, this is innovation that you get. Um, it helps uh, all the pardon survivors get a plus one survival. Um, and this also interacts with um, the mist. Is that the right name for the settlement event? The clinging mist. Yeah, the clinging yes. mist. Um, if you have the guidepost, it, it lets you not be able to do some really cool stuff with it. So yep. it's kind of a hindrance sometimes. Um, but other than that, uh, as an endeavor action, you can try to pull the halberd out of the ground. You need a 12 plus and you add your natural strength. So it's a little hard to do, especially early game when you only have maybe plus two strength. So you need a perfect 10. Um, later on, it's not as bad, but it's actually a really, once you pull it out, you get this really awesome piece of gear. It's lantern halberd, halberd. I can't speak. Um, it's a two ended spear. It's, it's got reach to, it's irreplaceable and it's unique. And after attacking, if you're standing, you may move up to two spaces directly away from the monster a speed two four plus accuracy seven strength yeah it's a top tier spear like probably the best spear in the core game lantern glaive comes close but it has early iron yeah i like lantern glaive only because it's also axe and spear i like the dual the dual weapon but yeah lantern halberd is oh yeah it's definitely a solid weapon i mean the four plus accuracy is what really makes it appealing for me but seven strength is Pretty handy as well. All around solid weapon and reach to. Yeah, I I, I basically uh, lie on the side of you try and rip the guidepost up as soon as you 
can do it with a reasonable amount of success. If you've got about five strength, I think, which is very difficult to achieve, four or five strength, I think it becomes worth doing. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think it's worth it. Unless you're like playing Survival of the Fittest and you have a bunch of endeavors left over because you're not making babies and you could throw some endeavors around just to try. I wouldn't do it till you actually have someone with like four plus strength. Yeah, yeah. in general terms, I want to get rid of the guidepost because if Clinging Mists turns up, that's when your campaign generally has the best chance of a success. But there's also like lights in the sky and stuff that could help with this and make it a little True. bit easier. Uh, some other events that could possibly help persuade it. Yeah, but on the whole, I think ripping the Lantern Halberd up and uh, and um, not having the guidepost is a bigger benefit than the plus one survival for departing that the guidepost gives. That and also lets you do a new game plus if it's gone. Yep. Alright, anything else about the guy post? No, except I don't like it. Oh, well, how do you really feel about that, Fen? It's kind of meh. Actually, it's because I love a Clinging Mist, and I don't want to lose the opportunity to New Game Plus, um, ever. It's it's so useful. Absolutely, the New Game Plus definitely adds a lot of interest, as well as a fun replayability to that same campaign, drawing it onwards, as Josh and I have experienced before. All right, so now that we've gone over that, we've gone over how the Kingsman shows up. Let's talk about some personal experiences with it. So, Fen, how how, uh, how do you feel about your personal fights with the Kingsman? Uh, to be honest, I've never lost a fight against the Kingsman, um, although I have definitely fought it less than you guys. Um, I get why people are so uh, concerned and have so many problems with the Kingsman. It is a very tough fight, especially scaling like level 2 and level 3. Um, I fought those a few times near the end of the timeline in People of the Sun, and they are astronomically powerful, easily the most powerful of the Nemesis encounters out there. Uh, it's an interesting fight in some ways. It also, even the level one can feel really unfair at times, like really, really unfair. Um, it's it's okay. It's sort of like. I don't think it's as good as the butcher, but it's more interesting than the hand from a mechanical standpoint. I have to agree. I mean, the Kingsman has some really when you go into the fight the first time blind, he does a lot of cool things, but then once you understand him, he starts to get a little boring and it's just like, all right, I know he's going to do X, Y, and Z, and it's really easy to counter everything once you know what to do. So like, you know, don't leave anyone on the ground because he could just automatically kill them. Bring a shield for his trap guard and stuff like like you can make almost make him completely neutered if you just know how he works. Matt, what are your thoughts? Oh no, I think the Kingsman's got him. Was he lying down? Apparently he's having some mic troubles. So Fen, would you agree with oh. me about how he uh, reacts a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, as we go through and talk about the AI cards and the hit location cards, we'll sort of discuss in more detail. But I do agree that uh, it's. Almost, he's almost a little cheap, I think. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. I'm back, by the way, guys. Uh, so what I'd have to agree with Josh in that the first time that you play him, it's the kind of a surprise, and it you know you're kind of like, oh my god, the first time that coup de gras comes up, it really it's a table flip moment. Uh, but yeah, you can neuter him pretty easily with just departing with the right gear and strategies. Um, and it's probably our, I think it's definitely our least played nemesis. And that's evident as for when we restream or refought him on the stream uh, for this latest campaign in our uh, season three. We completely forgot all of the stuff that we had to do to prep for him, and we kind of screwed up in a few places here and there. Yeah, I feel like at the Kingsman, you do three basic things, which we'll talk about. 
your your fight's going to be okay. But if you don't do those, you get screwed just because you don't know. Where, like, when you fight the Butcher or some other nemesis, it's like, all right, we know how he works, but it's kind of still going to be up in the air of how the fight's going to go. And it's not as much of more about knowing how everything works. Yeah, I think he definitely deserves his position uh, in rankings as being one of the hardest to fight nemesis encounters. You know, we're not taking any way, anything away from that. I think, to be in truth, at the moment, there's only one nemesis that comes close to the uh, the power of the um, of the level three Kingsman. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know. I think I would be more interested in the Kingsman if there was a slightly better risk reward kind of balance and you know we we are into the point where we start to talk about the showdown and um i i don't really think much about the rewards um really you compare it to most of the other nemesis encounters and uh, a nemesis encounter can always feel kind of bad especially for newer players because they're like well i i don't get any resources this year i don't get anything and you know that's not what nemesis fights are about but this is one of those nemesis fights that kind of punishes you for beating them, which it can make people feel quite bad when you don't realize what's coming or how to counter it. Yeah. And we'll definitely discuss that later when we get into the, uh, the end of the showdown phase with the rewards, but it's not a very pleasant end to this one makes you uh, kind of hate what you do have to do to him. If you do it right, it's really interesting and it can do some good stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, anyhow. Um, should we get on with the AI cards? Yeah, let's go on to the AI cards. So I'm going to start off with, we're going to go over the traits for our level one Kingsman just to get those out to see how he, everything kind of react, how his other cards react with him. So I'm going to start off with that. So a level one Kingsman has uh, 10 basics, two advanced cards, five movement, 12 toughness, and he starts off with five traits. So first one up is weak spot. And this is, he has minus four toughness in, from his blind spot, which is always nice. Yeah, this one um, is I quite like mechanically and lore-wise because this is linked to the um, the actual lore that you read at the start of the showdown against the Kingsman, which is there once was a monster that was to lead its master's regal procession. First, the monster came as a herald, then its hungry masters. So fierce were the monster's masters that it never fought to protect its own back, knowing what horrors lay behind it. So this is kind of like basically the kingsmen ha- generally have nothing to fear about anything behind them so they're absolutely terrible at defending themselves from behind yeah it definitely plays beautifully into the lore and uh, early game or whenever you face the kingsmen as well that minus four toughness is definitely highly sought after especially when you see that card in play everyone starts gathering around the backside of the kingsmen for sure yeah um and just looking at the model right now do you think these guys are a little reminiscent of Clock Tower, uh, you know, the things that little guardsmen that come out and ring the bell? Yeah, they're a little bit like that. I also think, like, they're, like, the royal guard for, you know, the queen and that kind of look to them. Well, the halb's definitely, like, reminiscent of royal guards and watchmen and the like, yeah. yeah. This weak spot's also the one that crops up on the Beast of Sorrow, isn't it? Yes, it is, which makes them so easy. Yeah. All right, so next up we have King's Combat. This other trait. So at the start of every monster's turn, he's going to perform basic action. And then after that, he's doing his AI as normal. So it's going to double up his attack, uh, but with the basic first before whatever is drawn. Yeah, so well, since we're going to that, let's go over the basic actions. The basic action, pick target, survivor, and blind spot. So even though he has that weakness and tough in the blind spot, he's going to then hit you if you're standing there. Um, he full moves the target, and he makes a separate attack against each survivor in the highlighted zone, which is going to be two spaces in front of him and then 
two to the left, uh, like four spaces to the left and four spaces to the right. So it's a six by two grid. So he kind of sweeps across everything. It's got a speed of three, a three plus accuracy with three damage. And then it's after damage is bash, knock back five in direction of the arrows. And he moves everything to his left. So he kind of sweeps with his halberd and just knocks everyone out of the way. Yeah. And if, uh, if there's no one in the blind spot, he will pick the closest threat to do this to. And then in the rare circumstances, he doesn't have any targets whatsoever. Uh, he will guard, which gives him plus five toughness until the start of the next monster turn. It's um it's definitely an interesting attack. This one, it's one that's also reasonably easy to game. As soon as you know exactly how he's going to act at the start of every single round, if you put someone in the blind spot. Yeah, I think it's easy to gain, and you quit, you quickly learn that you don't want to group together too much. So you you need to keep yourself a little bit separated, and you need to have someone kind of target be the target for this, so they don't so they know what they're doing. Yeah, it's almost a spoiler for some of his other attacks. It kind of warns you what he's going to do in advance. And I think this is a really the first monster where or first fight you have typically that has a lot of area attacks where he's hitting multiple people uh, because normally you're just getting singled out and getting attacked and there's very few multiple target attacks uh, besides like a couple of reactions on like the butcher when he lashes out around around him and stuff I think all the other monsters really don't have this kind of. Um, I disagree because I think the antelope has a fair amount, but to be honest, by the time the Kingsman turns up, you may well have not seen the antelope do them. The antelope kind of does a run in a straight line, though. It's not much of a... No, it has the attack where it rampages, hitting everyone in quite a large area. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple a couple weird... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I, I, I get what you're saying, though. You're saying the Kingsman really uses heavy amounts of area effect attacks. Yes, yes. He, as we go through the cards, we'll see how much he actually does this. Alright, so the next card up is the Battle Tempos. So this is a Survivor Status card, and it's just a little card you have, and you archive this tempo once you get the Kingsman's King Step Secret Fighting Art. Um, do you want to talk about this a little bit later, or go into that? We'll next? talk about it when we talk about Battle Pressure. Okay, which I think is actually up next. Uh, that's in the Hit Location deck. Well, there's King's Aura, so I don't know if we want to talk about Battle Pressure now or till then. Uh, so the Battle Pressure... We'll, we'll talk about it all together because it's really hit location stuff. Um, so we just mentioned the King's Aura now. Okay. okay, so yeah, we have the King's Aura. It's at the start of the monster's turn. Whether the hit location deck is shuffled... Or whenever the hit location deck is shuffled, you place the three Battle Pressure hit locations on top of the hit location deck. So his top three cards are always going to be Battle Pressure cards for the most part, at the beginning of the monster. And we'll talk about that more when we get into the hit location. And then the last one is the outfighting. So this gives the Kingman's reach, and it kind of just explains how that works, how he goes up to a, a survivor, then he jumps a space back to actually attack him. So he has a little bit more uh, range on him, and he can actually, you, you won't be adjacent to him. Yeah, when you get into the nitty-gritty of how this one interacts with some of his abilities, it's a bit of a mess, actually. Um, there are certain interactions with the uh, ai cards that cause problems in how this works uh so it does you do have to use a bit of common sense when using the um the kingsman because otherwise occasionally positions himself in a way that he won't attack anyone even though he should yeah and also makes it so how this works from how i understand it so if he goes to do his basic attack he turns around and then he jumps the space back so if anybody was behind one spot behind the blind spot, they wouldn't actually get targeted by his. Yeah. Um, there's also sort of problems with when you move a monster one space away, typically the monster turns in that direction it's moving, which doesn't, obviously is not how this is supposed to work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you do this exactly as rules read, if you start turn adjacent to a target and it targets a monster, adjacent to the monster it targets you, it literally he turns away and he's facing the wrong way, and then he can't target you with his attack. So common sense needs to be applied with this card. Um, but yeah, I understand what it's trying to do. And generally, you just have to you position the Kingsman in a place where the attack would hit. All right, so that's all the basic traits he starts with. So you want to start getting into the basic cards now? Yep. Yep. Let's go for it. All right. So first one I'm going to go up with is a hook and pull. It's the furthest threat in field of view in range. Um, otherwise, no target. He guards. It's a move and attack. Speed three. Accuracy three plus. Three damage. After damage. Move the monster back two spaces without turning. Target suffers grab. Right. So you see here where the, like, this, this piece of text should have been on outfighting without turning. So this is like part of the, the where you have to use common sense. Ah, yes. So, you know, the, the hook and pull works absolutely fine, but yeah. Anyway, this is um, kind of, like, interesting in that, for the most part, the um, the Kingsman tends to go towards the nearest target, the closest threat. I think it has it has a few circumstances it'll target the, the furthest threat. Um, I'm actually of the opinion when you fight the Kingsman that you all kind of hover around the same distance, so you have more choice over who he's going to target and get the right target each time. Yeah, and it seems like the hook and pull is his uh, option of an attack where he gets to pull another person closer in, so when he does his sweeping basic action, he can hit more people. Yeah, I think it's supposed to stop like a, um, a survivor who's sort of sitting back and doing support actions or shooting with a bow and drag them into somewhere where normally they have less armor, so they'll be in, in a more dangerous situation. But to avoid that, you literally, you all stand at the same distance as the tank. Absolutely. And yeah, there's only two cars that actually target furthest threat. Everything else is so. It is one of the few. Uh, there is two hook and poles in the AI deck. Indeed, yeah. Uh, so right, next up we have Spear. There's also two of these in the AI deck. It's closest threat in field of view and range. Full move towards target. Make a separate attack against each survivor in the highlighted zone. So it is the two spaces in front of him, and then it goes out four spaces in front of him so he's just putting out his spear straight in front of him uh it's a speed three three plus accuracy three damage after damage gain minus one movement token yeah uh, i find this one image wise kind, kind of funny because when you look at the kingsman that he's not much larger than a normal survivor that's a heck of a large area he's hitting with his halberd he's sort of jamming it in the middle and wiggling it back and forwards you know like from side to side um I think really what he's actually doing is sort of leaping into that space and then sort of pulling back. I, I guess this is quite anime with the way he'd be attacking, really, or something along those lines. Um, the minus one movement is, I think, can be problematic if you get hit by this on the wrong characters. Um, on the whole, though, I mean, apart from the fact that it hits as hard as just about all of his other attacks with that three speed, three plus accuracy, three damage, it's pretty standard. Um, other thing to note is when we talk about the level 2 and level 3, that minus 1 movement token matters more. And yes. The level 1, it does not matter as much. Um, and yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, if you think of each, like, D&D style, that each square is, like, 5 feet. He's hitting, like, 30 feet in front of him with his spear. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a very elegant dancer, is the Kingsman. So, you know, obviously he's got some moves to uh, to cover that area. All right. So next up is another. There's two of these in the deck. is Cleave. Closest threat in field of view and range, otherwise guard. Full move towards the target, make a separate attack. It's another attack zone. Uh, this is just like his basic action node, the same pattern. Um, the only thing is it's, a, it's three speed, three plus accuracy, three damage, but it's a headhunter attack, so all the, he all the hits hit the head location. 
Yeah, that's what definitely makes this a real pain in the ass attack is that it's the headhunter. Um, it kind of mirrors his basic, right? Yeah, it's just like his basic. It just it, it, it's a headhunter attack instead, and his basic yeah. does bash and knockback. This doesn't do it. It just hits you in the head. Yeah, I was just going to say um, all all of the Kingsman's attacks, I believe, um, um, are of three speed, three plus accuracy, and three damage. They're very standardized in that front, front which kind of makes sense because they are sort of a cookie cutter troop. There's one of two, but yeah, they're all three pretty much. All right, so after cleave, we have force thrust. So this is just like a spear. Closest threat, build of view. He's going to leap forward basically again and hit the uh, eight spots in front of him. Um, it's three, three plus, three damage. After damage is bash and knockback five, and they all get pushed backwards. So he likes to throw the targets around a lot and, and kind of smack them around with his spear. And again, it's another one of those area effect attacks that you were referencing before, Josh. Yeah. So yep. uh, that's what a lot of these basics are. So next is Axe. Same thing, closest threat in field of view and range. This is like his basic attack. He has the same eight spots in, across from him. And then it's a three, three plus, three damage. But his after damage this time is Bash, Bleed 2, and Knockback 5. And everyone gets Yeah, this six. one's a bit more terrifying. Yeah, that, that Bleed 2 is nasty. Especially if you've uh, whittled the Kingsman down, and this is one of his few remaining AI cards, that could be a real problem for you. Yeah, although hopefully by this point, uh, the Butcher's taught you the lesson of bandages, so maybe you've got something to mitigate at least that part. You're assuming that we learn from our mistakes, Fen. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess. All right, so next up, this is Strip. This one actually is a little bit different. This is another furthest threat in range. Uh, you full move target, it's just exact same pattern as the basic action it's only a two speed three plus accuracy three damage and target suffers bash so this is actually a pleasant one so it's like a little more neutered version of the other ones uh you still get the bash you don't get the knockback and it's only two speed instead of three i think this is the one of the only two speed ones i think there's one more besides this one i think it might actually be the only one unless i've got a card missing from my deck i believe it's the only one yeah now that now that you mention that, it does seem to be the only one. So this is the oddball of the group. And I wonder if that's on purpose. Oh, who knows? Um, maybe... Ooh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I guess if he's trying to trip rather than axe or cleave, he's using the back end of his pole rather than the front. So he's literally sweeping the ground underneath him. So it's there's no blade involved. Makes sense. Yeah, on the whole, this is if if you had a choice of any one of these basic cards to leave in the deck, um, this is probably one of the highest contenders for keeping it in there because it's very easy to um, to deal with compared to a lot of the others. Yeah, that one's a little bit easier to deal with. So next one is a more dangerous card. This is the uh, King's Grace, where it's all threats in the zone of death, which is everyone within two spaces of him. Uh, it's a three speed, three plus accuracy, and three damage. There is no after damage though, so he just. He can pretty much hit everyone, if even if they are scattered around with this one. With one notable exception, uh, that's Survivors with King Step. Ah, uh, yes. Survivors with King Step may ignore this attack. Yeah. Uh, so um, this is where I get the... Get part of the image I get for the Kingsmen is they they seem to be quite um, rhythmic and they they almost, I think dance in the way that they move very sort of fluid movements and uh, the, the king step sort of echoes that as well in this whole kind of um almost well battle dance or, or, or uh, so to speak so um i it this, this this card i must admit i haven't seen in a long time and i almost forgot it existed um i mean this is like can be a, a real lifesaver if you've got people with uh 
with with King's Step. This is yeah. I mean, it, it looked really frightening at first, and then I read that, and I thought actually, you know, that's um, it's interesting. Yeah, actually pruning out uh, all the other cards and leaving this one. If you have a group with uh, three or maybe even four of the survivors with King's Step, would be kind of funny. All right, so next up we have Hammer. This is closest knockdown survivor in range, closest threat in range, no target guard, three speed, three plus accuracy, three damage, but before damage, reduce armor at this hit location to zero before applying damage. So this is to take out your tank's arm. It's the really nasty part of that. Yeah, it pretty much mashes everyone down to equal getting hit by this. Um, it's one of those reasons why shields are so important and useful versus the Kingsman. And, of course, evasion, as always, is uh, very key as well. Yeah, and the good thing about the Kingsman is he has 3-plus for his accuracy, unlike the typical 2-plus most other creatures have. All right, so we're going to go into the only Intimidate card, that uh, basic card that the Kingsman has, which is Clang. The Kingman, Kingsman bangs its lantern halberd rhythmically against the ground. Intimidate all survivors. All non-dust survivors suffer 3 brain damage. If the settlement innovated Song of the Brave, they suffer 1 brain damage instead. Full move the Kingsman away from the most survivors. Turn to face the nearest survivor. Place any discarded battle pressure cards on top of the hit location. Yay, putting the battle pressures back on top. <laughs> this is a bit of an interesting one as well, because unlike many of the other Intimidate actions that occur in the game, this one does three brain damage um, flat, or one if you've got Song of the Brave. That's kind of very different to normal because normally uh, brain damage you take from an early game monster would say be one. Um, this this is kind of like an early game monster that will deal three brain damage and then it may well flip around in the late game and end up just dealing one against you, which is um, unusual in the way it's designed. Um, obviously, the main thing it's trying to do as well, though, is get those battle pressures um, back on top. Which, if you have someone with the uh, King Step fighting art, that's not really a big deal for you. Yeah, I'm just wondering how useful it is putting battle pressure cards on top during its turn. It's only useful if, like, your surgeon during the monster's turn or something. I don't know. Because doesn't he put it back on the beginning of his turn every turn? Yeah, he does, yeah. And actually, I mean, look at this. That would be, it intimidates. Then you've got a flow step where you could do some surging attacks. And then the battle pressures go back on top. I mean, that's probably just maybe more flavor than actual mechanical balance design decision there on the card um i did want to say uh, i like the flavor of this card which is the old classic banging the land you know banging your poleaxe against the ground to intimidate which is a nice callback to uh the, you know one of the forms of medieval intimidation yeah it is it's a nice visual of the playing in the ground and it's also kind of like what they did when they came and counted everyone they kind of hit their staff in the ground or hit the halberd in the ground as they count Rith- yeah, rhythmically like clockwork monsters Telling you, Clockwork is one of their designs. One of their themes, I should say, in their design. And alright, the last card we have, the I think the most dangerous card in the basics, if you don't know about it, Coupe de Grace. All survivors are doomed. Coup de, coup de gras, Josh. Coup de gras. I can't, I can't talk. Um, coup de gras. Uh, all not... survivors... Coupe de Grace. <laughs> it's, it's Gracie's coupe. <laughs> comes in a car and runs the survivor's head down. Oh, I'm terribly sorry! Oh, oh. I, I thought she would have uh, matured by now and gotten the sedan, you know? Alright, can one of you guys read the card? Because I'm not even going to be able to. So, Coop to Grace. All survivors are doomed. Uh, target a random knockdown survivor in range. If there are no knockdown survivors in range, place Coup de Gras and 
uh, discard coup de gras and perform basic action. Uh, full move towards target. Target suffers one severe head injury with minus five to the roll result. That is atrocious. Yep, because normally a uh, head injury is a 40% chance of uh, death. So this is a 90% chance of death. Yeah, it's... We've had a survivor die of this, and uh, we quickly learned to always encourage and make sure no one is standing. Uh, everyone's standing before he draws his aim. Or you can always roll hide. Yes, that's true. Which I would recommend. But yeah, it's um, this is this is part of why I said at the start, I think sometimes the Kingsman is a little cheap, because this is one of those... Um, it just becomes something you have to manage once you know it's coming, but that first time it happens, it can be horrific. Um, and it, it, it's also... You don't take survivors with broken jaws in against the um and the get Kingsman at all. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I was just checking. The uh the nicest thing that can happen to you from the coup de gras is you can no longer use or gain any survival. Uh it's permanent and you gain a bleeding token. So that's your best best option is basically you're retired. Yeah, that's one card you want to get rid of quickly and make sure or just make sure everyone is standing so he just does another basic action. Yeah, otherwise Grace is going to turn up in her car and whole hell's going to break loose. Uh, all right. So ready to get into the advanced cards? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Let's go to King's Axe next. Um, this is closest threat in field of view and range. Full move towards the target. Make a separate attack against each survivor in the highlighted zone in the order indicated by the arrows. I'm not even going to try to explain the range of this. It's almost within two spaces besides the blind spot and then kind of like fans out from there so the four spots in the row after that and he goes from his far back right and swings all the way around it's a three speed three plus accuracy three damage after damage bash and knockback five in the directions of the arrows so this yeah, is um, go on uh, this is similar to his uh king's grace that all around him it's just a little bit less area of attack and the king step doesn't help you here what were you gonna say ben um yeah so this is like it's kind of an interesting attack in many ways um hard to uh hard to control properly but you can um you, you can game it if you know it's coming by sticking one person in the blind spot and having the others in his front facing so you'll turn around to deal with a person in the blind spot and then you'll maneuver according to those annoying crazy rules on his um what is it out fighting card and then attack. So you can you, you can game this one to make sure only one person's hit if you know it's coming. Which um, by now I hope people are understanding why Rawhide is so damn good because understanding that this attack's coming can really change it from being oh crap everyone's getting hit to oh that's not too bad my dude with the shield has taken one hit you know. All right, and then the next card is his... he doesn't have many uh, attack cards in his advanced deck. Uh, next one is Perfect Thrust. Kingsman grabs the hilt of his shattered, his sheath sword. All survivors are doomed. Pick a target in the perfect position and place the monster adjacent to the target. The target suffers three severe injuries to a random hit location. If there are no targets in the perfect position, nothing happens. So the perfect position is his right cheek, um, two spots to his left and two spots front of him to his left. And uh, if you have the permanent injury lost sword, all survivors gain plus one survival and you archive this card. Yeah, because he reaches for his sword and realizes he doesn't have it. This one's—it's um, a heck of a, a heck of an attack. Is it the only one that involves his sword? I think it is. It's—I—I—I uh, I, um, I, this this is like quite a beating, you know. Um, but I think this is a fairer attack than um, 
than than the coup de gras. Um, and again, this is one of those ones why I advocate being careful and having a little look towards the end of the survivor's turn to check what the kingsman's going to do on his turn because if you can just be in the right position this is harmless yeah it, it, as long as you're down in three spots by him you're fine and um apparently this is definitely a um a big indicator of left cheek best cheek that it is everyone knows left cheek is best cheek although if i remember correctly he's gonna have spun around first of all and then he does this yeah so he's gonna do his basic attack hit anyone in the blind spot so if anyone was standing in front of him, could now be in that spot. It's a weird combination. It makes hard, trying to figure out where he's going to be a lot harder because he moves around, jumps back, and does all these weird things. Yeah, yeah. Well, he would if I just because obviously I don't have the board in front of me, so it's a little hard to visualize. If you had someone standing in the blind spot at the start of the turn, he'd first of all basic action, which means he'd turn around and step backwards one and do his basic action. Is that correct? Yeah. And then he would check to see if he hits you. So if you're going to attack him from behind to trigger him, in order to avoid perfect position, you want to be in the left cheek. Because if you're in the right cheek, then you would be in the perfect position after he's um, done his basic action. Is that correct? Yes, I believe it is. I believe you're correct, yes. So it's the left cheek, best cheek. Left cheek, best cheek. Okay, all right. All right, next up we have uh, his Intimidate card for his advanced cards. Which So he only has two Intimidates in the whole deck. Yeah. yeah, but this one's cool. Uh, so this is Neil. The Kingman, the Kingsman stops suddenly, then kneels. The survivors are struck dumb and feel compelled to do the same. Intimidate all targets. Roll 1d10 for each threat. If the result is equal to or lower than their current insanity, they cannot resist and are knocked down. Any survivors whose result is higher than their current insanity gains plus one courage. Uh, broken knee, which is a permanent injury, the Kingman loses its balance and is knocked down. So this is a really cool one. And it also provides you with a way to uh, farm courage, possibly. And everyone loves him. Thematically, it's really cool, though, the uh, the Kingsman's kneeling down. And if you're crazy enough, you're just like, well, I guess I should do that, too. And you fall over in the process. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. Ben, what do you think? Oh, I have for a second. That's why it was quiet. All right, let's look at the next card, then. Um, so we're going to start getting into the Kingsman's mood cards. So first one up is Lash Out. Uh, whenever a survivor... So when this comes out, you draw an A card. Whenever Survivor moves into a space in the trip zone, which is all around him besides his blind spot, uh, they end their movement and suffer bash. So this is where the uh, leather armor set is nice because that ignores bash, correct, Josh? Yeah, leather armor is amazing and I I think is a great thing to have against the Kingsman since he does a lot of bash. And then you don't have to worry about him crushing your skull in anymore because you're not getting knocked down as often. And also thematically, the only two spaces that are not adjacent to that are adjacent to him that are not affected by lash out are the two blind spot spaces. So he again does not pay attention to those spots. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, you, you brought up a good um, thing there, which we're going to certainly discuss a bit further down the line as well. But that is um, how useful leather is versus the Kingsman. The leather worker is a, a location if you have it open and you've actually been able to uh, farm the antelope and get some resources together. Um, if you do that before the Kingsman turns up, your chances of success go up quite a lot. Yeah, he, that that leather is is so good on so many levels. All right, so next mood um, is the Spinning Halberd. When Spinning Halberd comes to play, draw an AI card. The Kingsman deflects all incoming ranged attacks with its Lantern Halberd. The monster ignores hits and effects from ranged gear. I've actually never seen this card before. I didn't know he could do this. Yeah, me neither. Nope. I don't think we've ever played with that one. Oh, you've missed out. It's uh, 
um, it, it's a real neat uh, occurrence if it happens and you weren't aware it's in the deck. It uh, can result in one survivor being almost completely useless for a whole fight. If... Yeah, that's, that's a little fun one. Can you uh, guess what I'm going to um, recommend? Uh, your harp. My harp. Yes, my harp. Yeah, um, again, I, I, this is, again, I think the Whisker Harp is like one of the top tier items to take into Nemesis fights. Um, although we're here, the other option is, uh, you just, you don't take any ranged weapons. Um, and when we start discussing, uh, the Kingsman, like overall, towards the end of this, uh, I've got some recommendations with regards to gear loadout for tackling the Kingsman. Um, and, uh, ranged weapons aren't actually on the list, really. You could also have a backup weapon on you, or just fist and tooth it. Yeah, okay. You, uh, you, you can, I suppose he's got minus four toughness in the, the weak spot. So yeah, fist and tooth in him is a bit easier than most circumstances. But this mood card definitely throws a monkey wrench into the let's have a tank and three range people to pick him off uh, strategy. All right, so next up we have King's Walk. The Kingsman bends its knees and lowers its center of gravity. After the monster performs a basic action, move it directly back three spaces without turning. Broken you know knee. who? Go on, broken uh, knee. Broken knee. The king then loses its balance and is knocked down. Break his knees. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know who this is reference to, don't you? I take it as a no. I do not. Okay. Uh. Well, it's it's the king of pop. I, I was gonna say Michael Jackson moonwalk. He, he's gonna moonwalk yeah. backwards. <laughs> yeah. This is why. This is why I say like that. I think there's a whole dancing theme as well, a clockwork theme to the Kingsman, which uh, is the part of the Kingsman I really like. And yeah, he he moonwalks. That's the only way to describe it. Thank you for ruining the Kingsman for me. Now, every time he performs this, I'm just going to picture him moonwalking away, like pulling his helm down over his face and adding in a little hee-hee. <laughs> yes. Well, you can imagine that, can't you? Uh, if nothing else, uh, if you want a great experience, just chuck bad or thriller on so one time when you fight against him. Ben, now I'm expecting you to paint one of your, your Kingsmen to look like Michael Jackson. Uh, I'll see what I can do. I'll paint him like the, the robot Michael Jackson from the movie absolutely perfect <laughs> alright so the last advanced card is actually a trait card which there's not many random trait cards that get shuffled into the deck um, well lantern mirage so it's lantern mirage's name of the card and when it comes to the play draw an A card the kingman synchronizes subtle movements with lantern light pulses while lantern mirage is in play the monster gains a plus 3 evasion token when this comes into play any survivors carrying gear with the other keyword feel lightheaded and are knocked down Discard Lantern Mirage when a survivor scores a perfect hit. Oh, I'm dying here. I'm sorry. I just realized what this card is. It's a freaking light show. Yeah, it's staged lights. And look, the survivors become overwhelmed with the, with the lights going. They feel lightheaded and they faint. He's freaking Michael Jackson. Oh, goodness. <laughs> the Kingsman has just been increased to something very odd now. Hee <laughs> hee. I can't do that, but oh my god. <laughs> well, this is fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, plus three evasion, though, is is pretty mean. Well, he knows how to cut a rug. So, is he just making his halberd, like, do the uh, strobe lighting? Is that what's happening? Yeah, but not just his. The suggestion is all lanterns do this. Oh, so he can control everyone's lantern. Yeah, possibly. It wouldn't be a good light show if it was just his. Oh. Gotta make sure all your survivors have different colored lanterns, people, if you want to get this effect properly. So if this comes out during the stream, we have to flick the lights on and off. Drop a mirror ball down from the ceiling and uh, and play 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 that wonderful uh, what is it mouth mood smooth song, which if you've not heard is absolutely fantastic. It's 
bare naked ladies one week over the top of smooth criminal. Okay. Or you could just play smooth criminal. Am I feeling a Kingsman soundtrack coming on? Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Oh my god, like th- this realization and going back and looking at everything that's going on through here uh, is just like, yeah, he's not just any old, any old dancer. Holy shit! Like, he's Michael. Jackson. God damn it, Poots. So, um, I forgot what I was going to say now. He has that effect on people. Uh, is he trying to give everyone his uh, mixtape? That's the. Well, uh, <laughs> you might want to look at the trait that the uh, level twos get and threes. The uh, silent hem, him. Yep. There's yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, do we want to go to the legendary card yet, or do we want to talk a little bit more? Because the legendary card also kind of talks about what the after effects of uh, the king. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose yeah, we, we'll uh, we'll do the silent hymn and we'll talk about the the familiar face um, later on. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna leave. He has one legendary card. We're gonna leave that out because it's only for level two or three. We haven't started talking about that. So level two and three, what happens? Uh, level two goes up to eleven basics, four advance, and the one legendary. Six movement, still fifteen toughness, plus one speed, plus one damage. Uh, and then level three is uh, twelve basics, six advance, one legendary. So we only get a plus three cards between four card four between one and two and then another three level three so his health doesn't increase too much uh his movement is six toughness 18 plus two speed plus two damage and he also gets plus two accuracy yeah the increase in movement stops you being able to kite him which is something you can actually potentially do versus the level one with the right loadout but um it's that it's a marked increase in toughness it really is um uh, surprising how how much tougher going from 12 to 15 is all right so let's talk about his last trade card silent yep. hymn a strange hymn that cannot be heard only felt at the start of survivor's turn all survivors gain minus one movement token survivors with less than one movement may still move one space if survivors movement is reduced to zero they suffer a random brain trauma remove all tokens that survivor gained from silent hymn um and you may rebel at any time a survivor may spend all their survival, at least one, to remove all the tokens gained from Silent Hymn. And let out a rebel yell. And cry more, more, more. Less, 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 but I, I, I like your spirit. So this is... So level one has its got you with a coup, coup de gras. I said it correctly this time. This is the got you in level two and three. Is now you get slower and slower every round of this. What are you guys' thoughts on this one? I don't want his mixtape. <laughs> It, I, I can't even now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm dying here. This is just, oh, this is so funny. I wish I could do a good Michael Jackson impression. I really do. That's ignorant. You're ignorant, fam. That's ignorant. But yeah, I could see how you're saying that this is the uh, the gotcha card of the higher level Kingsmans. Uh, I think we had this come into play a few times when we were playing him, and it makes it very hard to deal with him as you're getting pushed around and bashed around, and uh, your movement is slowly in decreasing every turn. And his basic attack does knock back five, so he knocks you back, and then you can't even get back to him. Um, and he starts out with this in play for level two and level three, so it just gets really mad. All right, do we want to go talk about a little bit the aftermath first before getting into the hit locations? Uh, so we can talk about familiar faces, or you want to go into hit locations first? I've I've calmed down enough just to make a couple of comments on Silent Hymn. Um, right. First of all, this does have some advantages um, in that you can uh, use it to cycle through brain traumas, um, if you, uh, especially if you have accepted darkness. Um, and also Rebel is not completely disastrous if you have ability to regain survival um like a, i think a thrill seeker 
Um, and there are some items as well that will let you get survival back through actions and, and, and things like that. So it's um, it's interesting because you can play around this to a certain extent, uh, especially if you prepare for it, which is the kind of trait and thing I like um, for reoccurring fights and going into them once you experience it's nice to have stuff that if you plan for with strategy you get rewarded yeah i, I agree with um i think we go through hit locations and and deal with the aftermath and then we'll go back to the familiar face all right you want to you want to start us off on hit locations Ben? anything absolutely um so the very first one we're going to look at um takes us straight to an event which is battle pressure um this is the cards that uh there's Whenever the deck at the start of the monster's turn, and whenever um, the deck gets shuffled in any way, shape, or form, battle pressure is going to be on top of the deck. This is um, the whenever it gets shuffled, it, it stops um, stuff like the spear and the crest crown from completely messing up the Kingsman's um, deck. That's the reason why it works whenever you shuffle as well. Uh, so when you get uh, when you do this and trigger it, you have to go into um, the King Step, which is an event um, where you get to resist the unspoken pressure of the monster's onslaught. Your body trembles and your mind wavers. You struggle to stay standing against the pressure projected by the monster. You discard all unresolved hit locations end your attack and attempt to overcome so uh you know the uh now it's my understanding is correct here that means if you hit all three battle pressures um would you discard the other two it really depends on the circumstances i know we've done that before just because we were close to the end and we're just "Eh, let's just get these out of the way so we can uh try and kill the monster sooner than later uh but keeping them up would be good for the earlier rounds, especially if you have someone with like a higher speed, uh, just to get the, the chance to get the king step there. Yeah. Um, so there's a bonus if you have innovated Forbidden Dance, which keeps with the whole musical theme of this monster and his cherubic face. Um, and you gain two tempo tokens and get knockback three. Uh, I, that occurs on just one of the rolls. Um, but it's worth bearing in mind again that uh, this is one of those areas where forbidden dance is more potent than it normally is. So uh, you have to roll one d10 on the overcome table, uh, adding one to the result for each tempo token you have. So the more times you try and overcome the battle pressure, the better you come at it. Um, the result of one uh, causes you to suffer brain damage equal to the monster's level. Uh, two or a three uh, results in you getting a random severe leg injury and you gain a tempo token. Uh, as he uh, mercilessly slams you in the shin. A four to five, uh, he will uh, you suffer a severe body injury unless you spend one survival, and then you gain a tempo token. You get the tempo token whether you spend the survival or not. On a six or seven, uh, you realise that the um, you start to follow the monster's subtle movements, but he uh, the tip of his foot hooks your ankle, you're knocked down, and you gain one tempo token. Um, just, just a note, just to remember that. Um, I'll reference it in a little while. Um, then there's on the eight or nine, you sense a pattern and foresee the monster's attempt to trip you. At the last moment, you shift your balance. You suffer one damage to the legs. You gain a tempo token. And on a nine, you would gain a two additional tempo tokens and get knocked back three if the settlement had innovated Forbidden Dance. And then finally, when you get a 10 or higher, that's when you grasp the pattern behind the monster's fine movements, a rhythm that lets you control the pace of the fight. You've overcome the battle pressure and you've learned something valuable and you gain the King Step secret fighting art, which is whenever you attack, you may discard any number of battle pressure hit locations drawn and draw an equal number of new hit locations. 
Whenever you attack after drawing hit locations but before rolling to wound, you can choose one new hit location drawn and discard it to draw a new hit location. Traps will cancel these effects. So the King's Step has relevance when fighting the King's but it's actually very useful against other monsters as well. This is a desirable fighting art and one of the few really good things that can come out of fighting the Kingsman. Um, do you guys ever... What happens to your Kingstep uh, characters? I don't recall the last time we actually got Kingstep with one of our survivors. Oh, you're more brute force through the uh, battle pressures, are you? Uh, yeah, we tend to... Uh, chop through them with someone with three speed and just kind of getting them out of the way and then we deal the real damage with someone else this is where we took the uh last last time we fought him we took the best supreme bow and just shot all three of them off the top and then hacked at him yeah yes that's exactly what we did did he then manage to trip the uh the, the person using the bow despite the long distance i don't think that card ever came up i mean the um the reactions on the battle pressure well the battle pressure is only if they're if you're adjacent, oh, you, you, so you don't trigger them. You just get rid of them as if you do it from range or from reach. So oh, yes, 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 them. yes, yes. I No, you're, you're quite right. You are absolutely right. I'd forgotten having read all the King's Step stuff um, that the battle pressure requires the adjacent um, just because I put it down to one side and stopped looking at it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just shooting them off with a bow um, is certainly an option, but that you lose that option if he starts uh, deflecting with his spinning halberd. Or you could use reach, a reach weapon to get rid of them, too, as uh, True. you wouldn't be adjacent. Yeah, um, so on the whole, actually, though, I, I think maybe it's a better choice to be adjacent as long as you're able to uh, tank your way through these injuries. Um, definitely, uh, a king's step seems seems quite desirable. Yeah, I mean, we've also had survivors who've tried to get king's step, and we've also had... We're only fighting, like, level 1s and stuff where he's trying to get king's step, but... By the end of the fight, even though he tries to trigger it every freaking turn, he doesn't roll well enough and doesn't get enough tokens to actually make it work. It's going to be definitely, well, Forbidden Dance helps in 10% of the circumstances. Um, I'm surprised that drums don't help, to be honest. But anyway, uh, battle pressure is sort of the main mechanic of the Kingsman, and you have to deal with this every turn. And as we sort of discussed there, you can deal with it by ranged attacks to mill the cards off, or you can try and power your way through. Um, by being adjacent and and gaining the um, trying to gain the king step ability, eventually one way or another you will figure out how to overcome battle pressure within the within the fight. Otherwise, you're just going to have a really bad time. What, what kind of apart from the Vespertine bow? What core game weapons would you guys use to deal with battle pressure? This is actually where speed's a little nice because you would know the top three cards are safe at the beginning of the turn. Yeah, I think that our uh, previous playthroughs that we've done, we've used our guy with uh, dual wielding guitars uh, to take care of the battle pressure cards. Is that correct, Josh? Yeah, I think that's what we did. Hey, what you know, paired is actually useful for something. Yeah, when it's a safe bet, and you can only hit maybe one extra card besides three battle pressures. Shame they only hit on sevens normally, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything more you'd like to add about battle pressure? We just like to deal with it as little as possible when we do our playthroughs. That's why we kind of gamed it with the, the cheesed it with the Vespertine bow last time. That's a perfectly valid way of dealing with it. I mean, it's certainly, you know, right on there. Um, if you're not adjacent, you don't have to worry about that. I guess um, you could do it with Trash Crown, too, even though that's an expansion. Yeah, we're not talking about expansion stuff here. Yet, but yeah, yeah. It would work. Stop, yeah, stop, stop spoiling all my secrets. No, I spilled the beans on Trash Crown a while ago. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but we'll talk about that in the Dung Beetle Knight expansion. 
because it's a very interesting piece of kit. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we really say about battle pressure. It's a elegant and simple mechanic, but it has quite a few ramifications and it can feel very, very oppressive if you don't understand how to deal with it. But once you get the hang of it, it's, um, I think it's actually one of the kings and mechanics I like the most because it's immune to cat's eye circlets at the start of the turn, which is nice. Yeah, that makes the fight a lot more interesting. That you kind of have to do this, especially when if you go on the first playthrough and you don't know about the battle pressure, you're just like, oh, I have to go through these cards and I have to deal and hope for the best on my roll. Yeah. Okay, uh, we'll move on to the next card, and I'm going through these alphabetically. So we have first of all the axe blade, which is a first strike location. Um, if the attacker is wearing any heavy gear, they suddenly feel their knees buckle and are knocked down and return any discarded battle pressure cards to the top of the hit location deck. On a critical wound, uh, the finely worked axe is damaged and the Kingsman gains a minus one speed token. So this buys into one of the other rules of fighting against the Kingsman, which is generally try and avoid wearing heavy gear if you're going to be one of the ones attacking the Kingsman. And this is one of those rules that we forgot during our most recent playthrough. We had a couple of characters with heavy gear on, and it really drags out the fight uh, and things a lot harder for you to deal with. Absolutely. Um, It's also one of the better locations to crit, because damaging his weaponry, his his halberd, um, while reducing his speed is just such a huge benefit. Okay, uh, then next is another one of his weapons. Uh, it's, well, it's the same weapon, but this time it's the um, the halberd spear. Um, so if the attacker is wearing, again, first strike, if you wear any heavy gear, you feel the knees buckle and you're knocked down, and battle pressure will go back on top of the deck. Uh, if you crit, then you get to uh, crack the finely worked spear blade instead of the axe part of it. Uh, and again, the Kingsman gains minus one speed token. So this is like another location you can reduce the Kingsman's um, speed a fair amount. Um, and a good reason why I think you take crit weaponry across to fight the uh, Kingsman. Just to note, when you're in your normal game through play, after fighting the Butcher, you might kind of have the idea that you can't crit Nemesis. So that also makes your first fight a little bit more interesting, uh, how you kind of take that information. Right, I was just going to touch on that with that. Uh, it's a departure from the Butcher in that he has you know, the one crit location, which is the updated death blow, and then this has uh, quite a few. Yes, he does, yeah. And they're, they're generally all quite good ones, like this next one, which is the Halberd Handle, which is the third way that you can attack his weapon. Um, he has a reflex on this one. Uh, you, have to, you spend two survival to gain plus one courage and boldly deflect the Halberd, or all survivors in two spaces of the Kingsman are knocked down. Um, on a critical wound, the Halberd handles splinters and the Kingsman gains a minus one accuracy token. Now, minus accuracy is incredibly desirable as well as minus speed. So this is another wonderful location to crit. Um, and again, it's one of those few ways of gaining courage in the game. There's not a lot of monsters that give you courage easily. We talked about the Phoenix before. Um, but it's nice to have a nemesis that he, there is some benefits to fighting the Kingsman. Okay, and now we basically have a big pile of bits and pieces of his armor that you hit. Um, there's some similarities between some of these locations, so eventually you'll sort of get a bit of a theme. But the very first one is the Regal Back. Um, this is maybe the only location I know of in the, in the game that has a benefit for attacking with a dagger. I mean, can you guys think of anything else? I don't think so. Not off the top of my head. I think it's just the Kingsman. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, again, this is a bit of a reference um, to the whole Kingsman's like weakness in the back and everything. Um, and to be honest, this is what I kind of hoped Daggers would be good at doing in this game. Um, when we talk about weapon types and, and like further down the line, um, this is what I expected Daggers to do, but they don't, except here. Um, anyway, on a wound, if the attack has three plus understanding or king step, the subtle pattern of the monster's evasive steps are laid out in the open. The attacker is on the verge of learning something big and may spend five survival to gain a permanent plus one evasion. So this is not very likely against in your first round against the Kingsman, but if you did choose to go against it at level two or... Well, I'm not really going to say level three, but if you did choose to go against the, the higher level Kingsman, the, this is a can be a huge benefit because gaining evasion, permanent evasion, is massive. Yeah, that's a huge one, and any opportunity that we have to get the permanent evasion is definitely something we jump on all the time. It is well priced, though. Five, I think, is a fair trade. Um, you'd probably want to hit this location later in the fight. Um, early on could be beneficial, but uh, it's a bit of a risk to lose five survival. Yeah, unless you have a good way to regain it. Yep. You can later on. Be interesting to heart flute a Kingsman to try to gain survival or evasion as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so next of all, we have the Regal Bless Breastplate. Um, this is a sort of complex um, re- reflex action. Um, it doesn't have a crit location. Uh, so once after you've rolled, whether you succeed or fail, the Kingsman is going to turn to face you and then without turning move two spaces directly away. Um, so again, this sort of references when I was talking about the outfighting before, how that really should have had the words without turning on it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, if the attack has king step, then you can follow the kingsman and move two spaces forward. Otherwise, cancel all hits now out of range. I'm not sure how often you want to follow. Um, it's very circum, very very situational um, because this would normally be one of the last locations you choose to try and wound. Um, but I. It's it's sort of very hard to assess until you're in the heat at the moment whether it's going to be a good idea to follow or not if you do have a king step. But you know, here's moonwalking a bit more. And then we have the regal faceplate. If you hit with a dagger, again you get plus three strength when attempting to wound this location. So you know we're getting a theme of this is the one monster in the game that's weak to daggers. Um, the wound, the Kingsman fights dirty, spewing acid into the attacker's eyes. If the attacker is within two spaces of the Kingsman, they gain minus two accuracy tokens. On a critical wound, the eyes of the cracked fa- faceplate erupt with ooze, the Kingsman appears to cry, and the attacker gains plus one insanity. So this one's a really unpleasant location to hit. I mean, it doesn't cause you any damage, but having two accuracy, minus two accuracy tokens can be quite crippling for certain fighters. Yeah, and this is one that really took us by surprise the first time that we hit it because it generally is going along the normal lines of this is a a knight soldier or something like that that's fighting you, and then all of a sudden he's vomiting acid in your eyes. It's a little warning about the the trap, though, if you're paying attention. Exactly. Okay, uh, then we have the Regal Gauntlet. Again, this is another location that if you hit with a dagger, you gain additional strength. Um... On a wound here, you gain plus one survival, and the Kingsman staggers and gains minus two toughness until the start of the next monster turn. So given the option, this is one of the locations you want to wound as early as possible in a round. Pretty straightforward apart from that. Uh, Then we've got the Regal Gut Plate, which again has the same reflex uh, as the the Regal Breast Plate. Um, So he will turn to face the attacker, and then without turning, move two spaces directly away. Uh, If you have King's Step, you can follow. 
uh, otherwise cancel all hits out of range. However, this one actually has a critical hit location on it that will cause a knockdown. So this one's a little more interesting than the breastplate in that there is a benefit to trying to do this beforehand, because if you knock him down, then you don't have to worry about any more reactions. So if you do have a high chance of critting, you might choose to take the risk and go for the regal gut plate early on. Yeah, knocking the monster down is definitely beneficial, especially against one here where he's got a lot of uh, reflexes and you know wound effects and stuff like that. So this gives you an opportunity if that's uh, the one of the earlier hit location cards you're drawing around for you to really stick it to the monster that round. Indeed. Um, then we have the Regal Helm. Again, another location with plus three strength if you hit with a dagger. Uh, on a wound, you gain plus one survival. Uh, no, wait a minute. I just did this. No, did I just do this? Or is di- no, this is a, this is much like one of the others, isn't it? I didn't this read this. This is very similar to Regal Gauntlet. That's that's the one. Yeah, I got thrown for a moment. Sorry. I'll, I'll start again from the beginning. Um, when you hit with a dagger, you gain plus three strength when attempting to wound this location. On a wound, you gain plus one survival. The king's with staggers and gains minus two toughness until the start of the next monster turn. So effectively, it's it's identical. But yeah, it they're just... actually worded completely identical. They're both wound yeah. reactions. So it's just different place that you're striking, same effect. Yes, yeah. Uh, so um, then we have the regal knees, uh, which is a first strike location. Uh, again, if you're wearing any heavy gear, you suddenly feel your knees buckle and you're knocked down. And any back, discarded battle pressure cards go back on top of the hit location deck. Um, on a crit, you shatter the Kingsman's knee, uh, which is effect on certain AI cards. Do we remember which ones they are? Oh, is this the quiz time? Yes. It's his Neil and uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, King's Walk, which is a mood. Yes. So for King's Walk, if the broken knee happens, he's knocked down. And also, same thing for the Neil. Yeah, indeed. It's one of only two permanent injuries he can suffer. Uh, right, so next of all, we have the Regal Sabatons. So, uh, trivia, does anyone know what a Sabaton is? Uh, gloves? We've already had gauntlets in the deck. Would you like to try again? Leg armor? Now you're just guessing randomly. Josh, take a stab at it. I have no idea. <laughs> all right, okay, so Sabatons. Oh, I, they're I, shoes. No. Yes, they're not just any kind of shoe, though. They're pointy-ass shoes. They are pointy-ass shoes, yes. Yeah, they have a... Did you Google that? Uh, I cannot confirm nor deny that. <laughs> yes. Well, I loved it when I when I saw this card, and I was like, holy crap, he's used Sabatons, you know, in there. That's so fantastic. And then I noticed the model literally, he does have Sabatons on there, the little curled-up tips on, the, on, the, on, his, um, on his boots, on his shoes, on his Sabatons. So uh, this is wonderful. Um... Stats-wise, though, this is very much identical to the to the gauntlets. Uh, so your guess of gauntlets wasn't totally wrong. Um, if you hit with a dagger, gain plus three strength when attempting to wound this location. On a wound, you get plus on survival, and you reduce the Kingsman's toughness by two until the start of his next attack. Um, then we've got the Regal Sheath. Now, this is a, um, a reflex that will put battle pressure back on top of the deck, and then he'll perform a basic action targeting the attacker. But on a critical hit... You get to um, cause the lost sword persistent injury, which uh, is not a massive persistent injury. Uh, I think it's just the perfect hit. Is it the perfect position that's affected? Uh, perfect thrust. Is perfect perfect thrust. Yes. Um, so this isn't like a high priority location to crit, but 
if you do crit, cancelling the um, battle pressure going on top of the basic action does help. Uh, we- Perfect Thrust is the particularly nasty one that gives the three severe injuries to a random hit location. So getting that out of the way would be pretty nice just as uh, getting one of his trump cards out of his AI deck. I do agree, although I, I think that um, Perfect uh, Perfect Thrust is actually a card you can gain perfectly to ensure it never, ever occurs. You just have to pay very careful attention to where you're positioned. Uh, then we have the Regal Skirt. Uh, this is a reflex that returns any discarded battle pressure cards to the top of the hit location deck, and then he'll perform a basic action targeting the attacker, just like the sheath. Um, the critical hit here is your attack tears at the monster's embroidered regalia, uh, t- leaving only tatters. The sight of their enemy in disarray emboldens the survivors, and all adjacent survivors may spend one survival to gain a courage. So if you are risking being adjacent to the Kingsman, and this happens, there is a nice little benefit for you. And then we have the Regal Van Braces. Uh, this is another one of the reflexes where he will moonwalk away from you. Um, so he'll turn to face you, and without turning... He will then move backwards two spaces, and if you have king step, you can follow. Um, I don't have too much to say about that, except it's just the same location with a different name. Then we have the Regal Plume, which is the impervious location. Um, this is pretty much like, you're, you're, apart, short of the trap, this is your booby prize, because either you don't deal a wound, or if you crit this location, you gain a plus one damage token, which is just, yay, on the Kingsman, I should say. Kingsman gains a plus one damage token. Because he's outraged. I mean, I understand him being outraged that you destroy his wonderful plume. It's a great plume on the model. It looks fantastic, but uh, not a location you want to hit, ever. I find it funny that that's the one that he gets the pissed off about is you cutting the feather off of his helmet. How dare you, sir? Where does that feather come from? Is that a phoenix feather? Um, It's probably, given the way the nature of the Kingsman, it's probably grown out from the hairs on, on their head. So you cut off their ponytail, basically. Yeah, looking at the Regal Helm card, it's got the plume already on there, so yeah, their ponytail. Oh man, you're killing my killing my vibe. How dare you ruin my hair. Okay, um I've got the Regal Collar. This is the Death Blow location. Uh if you hit with a dagger you get plus three strength. And on the death blow, if the Kingsman is killed at this location, the monster weakly drives its halberd shaft into the ground, it pauses, then falls apart, its empty armour, turn into dust as the pieces touch the ground. The attacker that dealt the killing blow gains the Lantern Halberd Rare Gear card. The attacker also gains glimpses something incomprehensible and may spend five survival to gain a permanent plus one accuracy. So this is, like, pretty fantastic. Um, there is a little caveat to this as well, though. Yeah, the the caveat being... Well, we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome with the plus one permanent accuracy. Aside from Evasion, that's you know my second favorite uh, status update that you can get. And then the Lantern Halberd, as we reviewed earlier, is a pretty nice piece of gear. Yeah. And then finally, we have the the Regal Greaves, which I kind of put in here because I don't like doing everything in alphabetical order, even when I'm saying I'm going to do it. It's another reflex location where the um, the Kingsman will moonwalk away from your attack and you can follow them if you have a king step. So generally, on the whole, attacking the Kingsman, he'll move around a lot. Uh, he has some nasty reactions. But it's this, when you finally get through the battle pressure and start attacking him, he's not the most dangerous nemesis in regards to reactions. Very true, but the AI cards uh, kind of make up for that in comparison. It's not that he has you know one particularly overpowered one aside from Coup de Gras, but uh, they're all pretty hard hitters, and that makes him a little bit more 
challenging because it's harder to prune some of the, you know, it's hard to prune some of them out. They're all fairly consistent with each other. Yeah, he's a very much an offensively orientated character. Um, so when we get to the last thing, and um, this is the most easily gamed trap in the entire game, uh, it's the acid blood discharge. Um, gouts of acid spew from the cracks in the monster's armor. The attacker is doomed. All survivors within two spaces of the monster suffer damage to a random hit location equals the number of wounds on the wound stack. Any survivors with a shield may elect to protect themselves and ignore this trap, return any discarded battle pressure cards to the top of the hit location deck, um, which is almost a redundant piece of text, to be honest. But you can immediately see why this I've said this is so easily gamed is basically any survivor with a shield. This trap does nothing. Also, any survivor that's triggering this with range is going to be immune as well. Yep. So that's a pretty broad spectrum for you to be able to trigger this and not get damage, especially since it's only within two spaces of the monster. Yeah, so this gets into what I was uh, talking about before um, with regards to why leather is so important, because leather in the core game is the first point where you get a leather shield. If you can take one or more leather shields into the fight against the Kingsman, your chances of success go up a lot. Though another thing to note with this is no matter how damage you can make it, the worst that could happen is one severe injury. Absolutely. Which is pretty tame for a trap card, because typically you could get a couple of this is probably going to knock out most of your armor and give you severe injury that's the worst that's yeah i i think you know this is it's an interesting trap considering how dangerous the kingsman is it's a very mild trap but as i said before the kingsman's kind of cheap when you first fight him when you come down to understand what the kingsman's about which is overwhelming offense and kind of weak on the defensive side um you you get a better handle of how to deal with things and the rules are wear leather if you have it bring shields for as many people as possible and i believe one of the best ways to fight the kingsman is actually via spears because if you look about the way the kingsman behaves um with all his attacks if you're using spears you can be positioned in the way that generally only one person will get damaged or attacked you don't have to worry about the spinning halberd dealing with ranged although you know you could have ranged weapons and spears if you're that fortunate um but yeah despite the kingsman having a weakness to daggers it is definitely spears which i think is one of the best ways of attacking the kingsman um although you do miss out on the blind spot if you do choose to take this path so is that it for the hit location cards? Are we ready to get into the wonderful, wonderful rewards of the Kingsman? Oh yes, let's let's go on to the rewards, shall we? So, Matt, you want so to talk about the rewards? I I shall. I love oh, this. Okay. So then so great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So monster rewards. First of all, give me one second to get back to the right page. And there we are. Um, right. So. Uh, you gain the usual plus one hunt XP, you gain a weapon proficiency, um, and you'll gain additional rewards. On a defeat, the Kingsman rudely breaks something as it leaves a settlement. If you've innovated pottery, you return it to the innovation deck, which is a little cheap, of course, but you know, um, that's kind of actually uh, really can be very annoying because pottery is a pain in the ass to get, and um, it's gotten more important with the way it changes to the screaming antelope, bringing the um, barber surgeon into play. Um, but the big thing that happens uh, is that lovely reward, which is the air grows still and a palpable feeling of dread comes over the survivor who dealt the final wound to the Kingsman. They gain the King's Curse. You then get to roll a d10. Um, 
and add the defeated monsters level to the table below and on a one to four you get nothing on a five to eight each survivor gets a random fighting art on a nine plus you gain a steel sword rare gear and a basic resource if you have innovated nightmare training when you defeat a level three kingsman which to be honest most people will have um the survivors are inspired by the battle and each remaining survivor rolls 1d10 on an eight plus the survivor gains the king step secret fighting art now I said most people will have innovated um, Nightmare Training by the time they defeat a level 3 Kingsman. Technically true, but I don't think many people are going to want to fight a level 3 Kingsman. Yeah, I don't believe we've ever actually fought a level 3 Kingsman. That's the one nemesis that we kind of uh, push back as far as possible. So we're dealing with the higher level butchers and higher level hands first. I think the hand is generally our go-to for the higher levels as well. Well, you guys, uh, one day you'll tackle People of the Sun and um, you know you- you'll have to face one. I look forward to it. Uh, so, is it time for us to poke around in the King's Curse? Uh, nearly, but I think it's just worth looking at these rewards and just seeing how atrocious they are. I mean, even ignoring King's yeah. Curse, this is like... I've heard seen people complain about the Butcher being a bit naff for rewards, and I disagree with that. But, I mean, the best situation here is you get a Steel Sword, which is... Uh, on an 8-plus against the level 1 and a 7-plus against the level 2. I mean, I'll be honest, if you can stack steel steel swords, there is some really good stuff you can do with them. It's amazing. Um, have you guys ever had an ambidextrous steel sword wielder? Uh, no, we have not. It's freaking nuts. Because you've got... Um, it, like this is Ambidextrous basically gives paired, um, and it, steel swords are slow. So it's like, if you can get... Bitter Frenzy on top of it. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, Bitter Frenzy. Bit, anyway, the, the the ability that lets you um, frenzy yourself. Suddenly, it's just fucking ridiculous. It's complicated. But anyway, Steel Swords, amazing. So what's the stats on a Steel Sword? Uh, it's speed one, slow. Uh, ooh, give me a moment. But yeah, we've never done that in one of our campaigns. But from the sounds of it, it's an interesting build. But again, one of those weird situational things where the stars yeah. kind of have to align for you to get yeah. that going. You have to get the ability to use fighting arts when you're frenzied, the ability to frenzy yourself, and ambidextrous. So it's difficult. But just a steel sword by itself is amazing. So yeah, it's um, one speed, four plus accuracy, five damage, slow, irreplaceable, sharp, and on a perfect edge, the edge, a perfect hit, the edge sharpens you gain an additional 1d10 strength for the rest of the attack. It's just one of the finest weapons in the um, in, in the core game. Yeah, I don't think we have many uh, steel swords actually show up in our gameplay. Not an item we typically got off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's still, I don't think it's good enough, especially considering the King's Curse. So does somebody want to read the wondrous joy that this is? Sure. I take, don't want to. I'll take that one. Uh, so King's Curse, the survivor that dealt the killing blow, feels their heart sink. Then the tragedy befalls the survivor that kills the Kingsman. (laughs) Perfect sad trombone right there. Uh, Their body starts to sweat profusely and their flesh bubbles with extreme heat. The survivor must roll a hit location die on the King's Curse table. A survivor cannot gain more than one piece of regal gear per lantern year. Every piece of regal armor is cursed. Uh, Cursed is you cannot remove it from your gear grid for any reason. And when you die, it goes bye bye. And when a survivor completes the regal armor set, this is the fun part here, 
They lose their humanity and become a Kingsman. Filled with a sense of urgent purpose, the survivor marches off into the darkness. The survivor can no longer be controlled by a player. Discard their record sheet. They are dead. So just like that, the survivor that you thought was going to be awesome because they got the plus one accuracy from the death blow card and you think they're going to get this cool armor. Now they're going to start becoming a Kingsman slowly but surely and you're going to see them go away sooner than later. Yeah. Um, it's worth also just noting the differences between the, the locations. There are a few of the, they, they all have a sort of slight variation on what they do to you. Absolutely. And so you, when you roll the uh, hit location die, if you already have a piece of, of, of uh, regal armor at that location, you get to re-roll. So you're going to get a piece of armor no matter what. And so the head is your skull erupts from inside your head, bone twisting and hardening into a plated exoskeleton. Gain a random disorder and the Regal Helm rare gear and place it on your gear grid now. And what's the stats for the Regal Helm? Uh, so all the cards have the same stats. I only pulled So for people on Twitch, I only pulled the one card showing uh, it's a four armor. They're all armor, bone, and metal. They'll have the cursed and the, they all have the at the aftermath, at the aftermath, you perform King's Curse. So at the end of every fight, this person's in, you perform King's Curse. So essentially, the survivor that deals the initial killing blow to the Kingsman is going to have only five hunts remaining. Four, because they get Four. one of this. That's true, yes. Yeah. Uh, you never get to go out with a full set. Which is disappointing, because I feel like you should be able to go out just at least once with it and have like a really cool armor bonus as like a one-time use, awesome tank or something like that. But alas, we do not get that opportunity. Well, hold that thought, because I'll come back to you with something in a short while, but carry on with the other locations. Okay, so if you roll the waist, your thigh bones expand and hollow, while the flesh from your legs packs itself inside the bone. The pain is exquisite. Suffer the destroyed genitals severe waist injury. Gain the Regal Fold's rare gear, and place it in your gear grid now. So basically, your legs turn inside out, and your privates go away. Uh, for the feet location, searing pain shoots up your legs from your burning feet. Your leg bones shatter and reform in the shape of plated armor. Gain the Regal Boots rare gear and place it in your gear grid now. For the hands, your fingernails rapidly grow out, encasing your arm in a cocoon of bone. Your liquefied, heated flesh leaks from the joints of the hollow armor that replaces your arms. Gain the Regal Gauntlets rare gear and place it in your gear grid now. And if the settlement has innovated nightmare training, the new arms prove useful, gain an additional plus one permanent strength. So a little bonus there if you have uh, nightmare training innovated. And finally, the wordy one is the body location. It's the regal placard. And with a horrifying crunch, your rib cage bursts from your chest and warps drastically, puncturing your internal organs. Your open stomach pours acid over your exposed innards. You double over, vomiting foamy chunks everywhere. Finally, you stand, drawing no breath, but somehow alive. Gain the regal placard rare gear and place it in the gear grid now. The other returning survivors suffer three brain event damage. And finally, your body seems to move on its own, gain the King's Step secret fighting art. So thematically, for each piece of the armor, it looks like uh, you're just basically turning inside out. Your bones are becoming your exoskeleton, and all of your flesh and muscle underneath is liquefying into the acid that you see spewing out of the Kingsman throughout the fight. Yes, yeah. So, Fen, what were you saying in regards to the completed armor set? 
you'll uh, you'll have to give me a little bit longer. Um, I, I need to find what I'm looking for here. Uh, the thought struck me, and I didn't prepare for it. Um, well, actually, it did, but I did prepare. I apologise. Uh, so before I do find this, we might as well discuss what what sort of rules do you think then people should take away from how to handle the Kingsman and how to dodge the curse. So to handle the Kingsman, or more importantly, dodging the curse. Uh, you you want to make sure that you don't mind the person running off into the distance if you're using a normal survivor to uh, kill him for the first time. And then afterwards, managing that survivor in their remaining hunts uh, so you can use them strategically since you have a limited amount of hunts that you know they're going to be able to successfully depart and come back on. Uh, Josh, anything you want to add to that? Um, I agree. Um, I also just think it's think this is a good point to bring up the one legendary card we skipped over since it was kind of spoilery uh which is familiar face um the kingsman removes its helm revealing the face of a loved one all survivors are doomed every survivor suffers five brain damage so once you fight a level two and level three that one survivor that you did have before basically is the one that came back to kill you is the the theme of that exactly hypothetically but uh what happens if that poor survivor dies before the, you ever fight the level two what's the familiar face you see then you know a, a face of a loved one who who could be greatly loved that the settlement would be shocked to see as a kingsman the white lion no that's, uh, that's an interesting answer that's not who i'm getting at i think you've stumped me on that one. Oh come on who who is the kingsman who have we, who have we established the kingsman michael is? jackson yes oh. Yes, oh my god, it's Michael Jackson always attacking us. <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere serious with that fan. <laughs> oh, hell no. I can't take the Kingsman seriously anymore. I think I... It's, this is like when we talked about the Phoenix. I ended up liking him a little bit more than uh, than I ever thought I could have. Oh, god. Thematically, the Kingsman just became so much more interesting for our future playthroughs. So you're going to open up one of the stream with an extract from Smooth Criminal? Absolutely. And uh, so, Josh, we've done it once before. How do you game the Kingsman's uh, wondrous gift of armor sets there? So the rules are really, really weird about this. So typically when you're playing a savior, you can't gain any other gear. Issue is the King's Curse doesn't say other on it, but in the FAQ that Poots gave, he used an example of the Kingsman Curse to say... to show an item that a savior can't get. So a rule is, since he said that, that saviors are immune to the curse, um, and they can't get it. And we've had some confirmation after that. It sounds like the 1.5 savior update might say they can't also have curse gears along with other gear. Um, which I think most of the other curse gear has the other keyword on it anyway. I believe that's the case, and thematically that does make sense that the saviors wouldn't be able to have cursed gear as they're like above that. And also, for playthrough-wise, you don't want to have something that disappears with the savior on a savior that's going to age out of existence relatively quickly in comparison to all of the other survivors. So essentially with that, if you time it correctly, bring a savior on this fight if you have one, and have them deal the killing blow, essentially they just don't bother getting the armor, and then you just continue on as normal. Now I'm thinking just of a fun campaign variant where you all play four Kingsmen and you all have full Kingsman armor. That would be rather cool, actually. Uh, just playing as the, the Kingsmen going around and fighting the monsters of the settlements, or of the, 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 the plane of faces. 
I think it would need to be one of those shorter campaigns, though, because you would lose a lot of variation in what you've got. You know, you wouldn't be able to build a lot of the gear. Absolutely. So, Fen, last chance. Do you remember what you are going to say? Well, uh, I can't find the exact entry. Uh, I know what I'm looking for, but the um, the Gambler's Chest uh, released um, one of the uh, narrative sculpts. Is a dude. Here he is. Literally just found him. Is a dude called Cursed Spear. It's a narrative sculpture. Uh, rep- uh, the the let's give give the flavor text. The settlement eagerly awaited his return, ready to defeat their former friend in battle and grant him rest. Uh, this narrative sculpture features a male survivor with a king's curse. He wears screaming fur armor, his legs fully transformed, and his arms slowly changing. As his body changes, the rule of Kit the king fills his mind. Perhaps he can share the perspective before he succumbs to madness or leaves the settlement forever. This set also includes new regal armor gear cards that might this cursed growing armor be a lot more interesting to play with. Oh yeah, a base insert is also included. So this is like one of the biggest reasons I think to get the um the gambler's chest. Then there's other ones as well, but all of a sudden the Kingsman has an extra layer of interest. We don't know exactly what happens from this, but we're getting a King's Rule philosophy card and a whole new set of regal armor that should apparently be more interesting to use. Perhaps it's got yeah. outfit on it. If it makes the uh, regal armor set that you're getting for him a bonus, besides just a major hindrance to one of your saviors, or I'm sorry, survivors, I think it's a huge benefit. And that could definitely add a lot of interest and more than likely sway us into fighting the Kingsmen uh, more than we're currently doing in our campaigns. Yeah. There is um, one more way that's worth mentioning for gaming the the Kingsmen, which is uh, essentially um, you keep him on the sidelines for as long as possible, uh, especially once he's reached three, uh, is it, yeah, four. So once he's reached four, um, four kings, uh, four bits of regal armor, then you just stick him on the sidelines until like the last fight and trot him out for it. And then he's got like a lot of armor for which didn't cost you anything to make. Yeah. Free armor is always nice there, even if it's a incomplete set. So you're not getting the full set bonuses or anything like that. But yeah, it's um. I, I think that this change in the gambler's chest, although it's provisional, we don't know exactly what's going to do. I think that is going to make the Kingsman a more interesting and viable target, and it's going to be uh some. It may it may well become something that is recommended to fight, like you know, fight the Kingsman and score and beat him every timeline because this King's philosophy is interesting and the new armor is interesting. So uh, I do look forward to seeing what happens, although we've got a while before we find out. And it also gives that death blow a little bit more of a boost as well, just because that plus one accuracy is actually more beneficial if you're not losing the survivor after four additional fights. Well, I imagine you're still going to be losing the survivor. Um, I would be surprised if that doesn't happen, but uh, maybe the curse spreads slower or there's more benefits from having it. We don't know, but um, yeah. Yeah, It'll be very interesting to see what happens and uh, if there's any big changes with them in 1.5. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost a shame that this is uh, whatever's going into this is just going to be in the gambler's chest. Because to be honest, if they're going to change the regal gear, I think they should just change it in the core set, full stop. Um, this isn't interesting enough, in my opinion. Yeah, I was a little disappointed on our first playthrough of the campaign that this gear didn't have something more to it. The other bad yeah. thing about the uh, the gear is it has no affinities. It has no special abilities on them. It's just straight up armor, which is kind of lacking works with a death mask all right so is there anything else that we needed to touch on with the kingsman 
No, except just to expand on what I just uh, uh, flippantly said there. Um, the death mask, if you have no affinities, you get plus four luck and suffer minus four towards severe injury rolls. Well, you've got a guy who's disposable. He's going to struggle to make affinities because he's got all this regal gear junking up his grid. Um, it's a perfect opportunity to uh, take advantage of it and try and generate as many resources as possible for what, before he shuffles off the mortal coil. That's very true. And as an aside, I finally got my uh, my second ever Forsaken mask this week, which was nice. You're going to paint it to look like Michael Jackson? No, no, but we're going to toss it and build the mask maker and we're going to go hunt the legendaries because the normal monsters aren't scary enough anymore. The legendaries are always fun to add. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk about those in length soon. Uh, um, you know, especially uh, especially Tom. I do love Tom. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's everything I have to say about the Kingsman. So, just in review for you guys, basic strategy for the Kingsman is uh, don't all crowd around together in front of him. Just try to stay equidistant away f- uh, from him as your tank is. Uh, don't wear heavy gear. Make sure you bring a shield to deal with his trap card. And uh, daggers give plus three strength bonuses on a handful of his hit location cards. Uh, is there anything else that I'm missing there in the recap, gentlemen? Um, I'd just like to clarify a little bit further. It's okay to have heavy armor on your tank, but um, your tank should not be attacking if he's wearing heavy armor. Um, daggers is situational. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about it right now. But if we do get some better daggers in the expansions that come in in wave two, then that might be something to pay attention to. And spears are also a very effective way of fighting the Kingsman because effectively you fight him on his terms. Also bouncing back there in terms of useful gear, uh, leather armor set is fantastic against the Kingsman, uh, provides a nice armor amount, and more importantly, gives you the ability to ignore bash. And he's got quite a handful of cards that do bash in his hit locations and AI cards, correct? Yes. That's a fair amount. Um, and uh, uh, the beacon shield is superb against him. Like, just probably the best item to use against the Kingsman full stop. And also, don't piss him off and cut off his feather. <laughs> yeah, I also think the, the beacon shield's just a good item all around in game, just because of block two. One of the most powerful things in the game. Oh, absolutely. It's it's freaking amazing. Um, uh, I, I, I made a beeline towards it. I think the leather shield beats the beacon shield for sheer efficiency um, of cost. But the, the beacon shield, if you can afford the iron, is superb. And I think that's one of the few ways you're going to be able to handle the level 2 and level 3 Kingsman is by using uh, a beacon shield in amongst your kit. All right. Do we have anything else to talk about the Kingsman? Uh, no, except I think I like him a little more than I did when we started. You like that Michael seems Jackson? to be... It seems to be a recurring theme here is that uh, Fen goes in with a little bit of uh, bad taste in his mouth for certain monsters and then realizes he likes them more than he remembered. I generally like the lore versions of them more than the actual like mechanical versions. I still think the rewards for taking on the Kingsman um, are not good enough. And I know Nemesis fights are not supposed to have really good rewards. But uh, ooh, I think I think I'm going to say I prefer the Kingsman over the um, the Lion Knight. But that's about you know about it. As in, I rate every other Nemesis higher than the Kingsman apart from the Lion Knight. What about what about the Watcher? He's technically in them. Oh, excluding end-of-game monsters. We'll talk about the Watcher in a future episode. We'll see if we actually make you like him or not. Good luck with that. So we ran a little longer than expected. I think we're going to be ending it on the Kingsman this evening and saving the hand for next time. Am I right, gentlemen? Um, Does the King approve of this? Does the King or the Scribe? The Scribe needs to approve, really. 
yeah, I think we're oh, going to well. end it here, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll break, pick up the we'll pick up the hand next time. I was going to say next week, but it's not next week; it's in two weeks from now. Yes, the next episode should be all about one of the most interesting characters in the core game, the hand. And yeah, I definitely do find the hand mechanic super duper interesting. It's a really cool nemesis fight just because it's so different than the other ones as well. So I'm excited for us to talk about that next time around. Uh, Is there anything you guys want to talk about quickly before we start getting into the sign-off procedure? Um, no, no, I'm uh, I'm perfectly uh, sold up and, and good to go. Okay, so thank you everyone for joining us. This has been another episode of Great Game Hunters on the Twist Gaming Network. And next time we will be talking about the ins and outs of the hand. So a few things to talk about first. Uh, guys, we do have a raffle going on to remind you. Fen is doing a raffle where for $5 you can buy a ticket to win. What, Fen? I miniature painted by myself. And that's a up to a 50 millimeter base and nothing too techy, right? Yeah, um, I generally want to avoid any sort of things like Space Marines and Necrons or something like that. But, I mean, I was thinking today if somebody wanted a Tyranid painted rather than a Kingdom Death miniature, I'd happily do that. Heck, I've been painting the Dragon King uh, today and he's much like a Tyranid and I've realized I really enjoy that, the organicness. So, yeah, just uh, um, nothing too kind of mechanical looking. All right, and then if you want, you can check out his DeviantArt page uh, and check out his uh, other mini work that he does, and he does commission-based work as well, so you can get anything your little heart desires painted by him uh, within reason, you know. Yeah. yeah, most of my more recent work is on my Instagram, which was in the link, but it's uh, slash Fensaunig, which is F-E-N-Z-A-U-N-I-G is my Instagram name. Perfect. So also, everyone, please follow us on... Oh, yeah, and Patreon as well. Thank you for reminding me again, Charles. And what's your uh, Patreon, Fen? Oh, God, put me on the spot. Um, uh, give me a moment. Jeez. Uh, yeah, it's um, oh, it's really hard to pull up your Patreon. Do you have the link there? Because um, I can't remember off the top of my head. That is a question for Josh. Uh, it's under Fen. I can't pronounce your last name. I'm not going to try. If you look for his uh, his name, you'll find it. Um, if you pr- if you pronounce Z Sao, it's just Sao Nig. Sao Nig. Sao Nig. Sao Nig. Sao Nig. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the trouble is when I access my Patreon, it just comes up as Patreon slash user, which is why I immediately looked like a bit of an idiot there. Yeah, and the link I have says user, and then just says like U equals, and then whatever your user number is, and I'm not going to spout that out on a stream. Yeah. So I, for the uh, rest... I... oh, go oh, ahead. Oh, I'm not... yeah, do you mind? Do I have to go and speak to the king? <laughs> oh, the scribe. Uh, just don't talk to the scribe. No, I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't speak with my upper management. Um, I was just going to say, um, I'm just sort of starting to add more uh, information and more bits of posts and things onto my Patreon. There's some stuff available for anyone to just go and have a look at, and some stuff for Patreons only. Um, this page is going to start bulking up over the next couple of months. Now I've got time to work on it. Um, but I will usually show whips, uh, works in progress that I don't normally do. And um, I discuss a little bit about my painting process, which is sort of a bottom up kind of approach where I, I was an oil painter is where I originally started out. So I have a, a, a way of painting in rough and then gradually forming the details out of that. Um, and, you know, I, I will hope to put stuff up, as I say, for, for anyone to have a look at and then more detailed stuff for anyone who wants to be a Patreon. Um 
Anna, I would like to say thank you very much to Charles, who was my first Patreon. Hello, Charles. I have your lion. I'm working on it. Very cool. Go, Charles. And so for all of you out there who would like to follow us, please follow us on our YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, uh, our Discord channel. Come chat with us. We have a BGG guild now, and we are Twist Gaming. So come check us out. Follow us on our Twist account. Subscribe if you can. Uh, Amazon Prime gives you one free subscription a month. And uh, a big shout out to BC Games Company, who is sponsoring our streams all week long with their game Gunslinger that's currently out now. You could buy it on their web store. And then they're coming out with Gambler, which is a standalone expansion coming out on May 1st. So check them out as well. Uh, Am I missing anything else there, Josh? I think that is everything. Did you mention that the podcast now has its own page on BoardGameGeek? Oh, it does have its own page. Matt didn't know that. Or I don't know if Matt actually paid attention to the chat. But yes, you can find the podcast on Board Game Geek now, as long as it's also on iTunes and on our website. That was news to me. That's exciting to hear. Surprise! So again, everyone, thank you for joining us on Twist Gaming. Our future streams are coming up soon. Uh, check out our follow-up schedules. Uh, our next stream is going to be on Monday, where we do our spotlight presentation of Racket Cats in Space, courtesy of Vile Genius Games. Other than that, uh, Twist uh, Twitch Plays Kingdom Death is coming up on Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on our channel. So we're going into Langineer 18. Come check us out with that. And uh, Great Game Hunters coming up in two weeks where we talk about the hand. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. This is Twist Gaming and Great Game Hunters signing off. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I'm Old Man Phoenix. <laughs> All right. Yeah, take care, everyone. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Thank you.